Podcast. Hello and welcome to our new movie podcast or whatever. I'm Iris and this is my bro Wes. Hi. And today we're talking about Peanut Butter Falcon. Wes, why is Shia LaBeouf so good? Can you put a finger on his um, je ne sais quoi? I think that he is playing, I guess, a version of himself. Apparently he's half Cajun and also half Jewish. So no matter what movie he's in this year, he plays one part or another of himself. Uh, I think he's a smart guy. Deceptively smart. Not all of his characters are quite so sharp. But I think he's a natural actor uh, and watchable. You know, Brian said that he's electric. Electric isn't one of the words I would have come up with. But you feel an energy from him for sure. I like him. I, I think you get all kinds of energies, good and bad sometimes. LaBeef, LaBeouf, LaBeouf. LaBeouf. LaBeouf? Is how he's generally pronounced and he doesn't contradict anyone, but we don't either, so. so it could be totally wrong. Throughout all of Peanut Butter Falcon, I was thinking about what Lucas Hedges says in Honey Boy, when he's playing Otis, when he's playing Shia. When he gets arrested, I think, he says, you have no idea how good I am at what I do. I thought about that entire the entire time I was watching Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay. Did you get the feeling that he was full of himself? I get the feeling that he knows how good he is. Okay. I don't know that that's a bad thing. I mean, he owns it. Yeah. So, Peanut Butter Falcon, the second of our Shia LaBeouf movie reviews, although I don't know that Honey Boy episode, our Honey Boy episode, will ever see the light of day. It wasn't our best. I mean, it was, I, what are you talking about? Well, I was insightful, and I was funny, and you were good, but. But it wasn't our best. We were, we were testing out the audio stuff. Right. Uh, so this is our second Shia LaBeouf beef buff. Buff, we go with buff, let's do the, the for, let's, <laughs> consistency. This is our like little Shia marathon. Um, but Peanut Butter Falcon, I felt like, um, was fairly unique. I mean, it was really fun. What did you think about it? I liked it a lot. It was uh, not what I expected. I think it was, next to Blair Witch Project, probably the most pure movie-going experience because I walked in knowing nothing about the movie whatsoever, and that's very rare. Well, why did you watch it? I watched it because I knew that it was, uh, critics really liked it. I knew that Shia LaBeouf was in it, and I had seen a promotional poster of a raft, and that's all I knew about it. But, um, yeah, won a bunch of audience awards, and I thought, well, I'll check it out. But I didn't know any about. I don't. I didn't know what it was about. That is pretty rare because usually you like anticipate, research, watch trailers, all that stuff that I don't do. Yeah, I feel like this one slipped under the radar for maybe a couple of reasons, but I don't know that it was huge on the radar. I think they might have sat on it for a while. Well, it was also like an indie thing or a festival thing, right? Sure, but those generate buzz, you know, like audience favorites and things. You said that he did this way before um, Honey Boy? That's the idea that I have because he, he, he was arrested on the set of Peanut Butter Falcon. This whole sort of Shia Renaissance thing uh, is post-Meltdown, uh, which culminated in Honey Boy. But that was a few years ago. I remember hearing about it. The, the arrest that was depicted in Honey Boy happened a few years ago on the set of this movie. This isn't a terribly big movie in terms of special effects or post-works, uh, so it should have been ready to go, I think, more or less, and it they must have sat on it for a while, or they must have thought that releasing it on the heels of his notoriety would have been box office poison, or it might have really detracted from what they wanted the message of the movie to be. 
and that might have been a good idea. But uh, he's enjoying a little bit of uh, better press nowadays with, with Peanut Butter Falcon and Honey Boy. So Peanut Butter Falcon and Honey Boy, his latest two, part of the LaBeouf renaissance, what did he do, what has he done since like, I don't know, his Indiana Jones um, Transformer heyday? So after Indiana Jones, uh, well before that he was in, he was kind of Spielberg's darling for a little while in that like DiCaprio is to Scorsese. Uh, he was in Eagle Eye, which Spielberg produced, Transformers, which he produced, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which he, which Spielberg directed, and then they had a falling out over Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and some things that uh, Shia said in the press about the movie where Spielberg wanted him to sell cars and he didn't sell cars so he didn't play ball the way he wanted him to. Um, he vowed never to make a major studio picture again and ended up in indie fair like Lawless. Uh, there are a couple others. He was in uh, Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac which I didn't see but those are definitely more indie than uh, the big budget stuff he was doing before. Okay. So he's kind of paved his own trail. I think he follows his heart now for roles, and I think at the moment it's leading him to a good place. Yeah, I mean the last two I feel like were pretty solid, but he basically felt so basically he fell off the map and was doing random performance art like I'm sorry with a paper bag over his head. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, I think that he was he's just kind of performing and the scale at which those performances are received or buzzed about was less. I think he's still doing his same thing. He's just not as wrapped up in what's commercially viable or will further him, you know, success-wise. Got it. Okay. So back to Peanut Butter Falcon. I was thinking, <clears throat> would this movie have been the same if it was a kid instead of a Down Syndrome dude? I'm not sure. I think the heartwarming aspect comes from a few different areas. You either got to be really, really cute or really, really sweet and endearing which I guess a kid could be, but there might be more, I, in a way I feel like there's more stakes for a, I don't know, maybe it, was a, it would have been more of a kidnapping story if he was directly responsible for the well-being of, a, of an underage person as opposed to a, a, a challenged person. Right, I mean for all intents and purposes, um, like story or tone wise, he is a kid. I mean, he has his childlike fantasies. He is need of constant kind of care and supervision. And yet somehow it works better because, um, or it, it's more charming or less of a kidnappy, creepy story if he's, you know, an adult but with challenges. Sure. Uh, so I think that his potential as an adult might be a little bit limited, but the movie doesn't portray it in terms of his limitations, whether he was a child or a mentally disabled adult. Um, I think this movie is more fantasy, although it's kind of a grounded fantasy. I think as we see in the, uh, in the closing scenes, there's definitely fantasy aspects where our suspension of disbelief is really tested but we're laughing and cheering sort of right along with it. So I think if you regard the entirety of the movie in that vein, um, you know he'll be okay. You'll know that um, he's kind of free to do whatever he wants and there's no dangerous uh, aspect. So I think that's where the sort of safety and fuzzy feeling comes in. You know, 
children have yet to live and experience maybe their potential. Whereas he may be at an age where he had missed out on a couple of things and suddenly gets to do all these things, which I think is more heartwarming than if it was just a kid who hadn't quite gotten to that age yet. Right. So now that you brought up suspension of disbelief, you know, for me, tone and consistency of tone is like a big deal. That's a big, like, important factor for if I think a movie is successful. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it was interesting how they ease you into the suspension of disbelief. Like at first, you're like, eh, it's not really realistic that this dude would escape, or it's not really realistic that this beautiful chick would like just decide to go on the road with these two randos. Yeah. And slowly, you start to accept these things as they progress, and then they kind of build and build and build to the ultimate fantasy in the atomic throw. Sure, and maybe that parallels his belief in what he can achieve, what he can accomplish. He thinks he's supposed to be in the old folks' home. Suddenly, he finds out he can be free. He decides he's going to be free. He decides he's going to find his idol. He does, and more than that, he gets to achieve his dream. So he sort of realizes his potential in the movie the same way we realize what he's capable of or what the movie will allow us to believe he's capable of. The fantasy part was definitely, um, like, it was, it took me a while, it was a problem for me. But then, because it kind of all pays off and because you feel so good about going along with it, I was like, by the end I was okay, but I was definitely resistant throughout. Well, I was resistant because when I understood what kind of movie it was, and I don't think that if I had seen the trailer for this movie, I would have been as excited to see it, or I think I might have perceived it a little differently. It's definitely being uh, presented as a feel-good, if when you watch this movie, you will feel good kind of movie about a person with disabilities who who is living life, and there's a stirring pink song or whatever in the trailer, and it would have been kind of uh, on the nose for the way that way they're marketing it and i think that going into the movie not sure at all what was going to happen and seeing this sort of uh fantasy uh, aspect unfold was really gratifying it didn't if i had go, gone in knowing that they were aiming for my heartstrings i might have been more resistant but i just sort of went along for the ride which right. i think is really important for this movie right so in the care home facility thing this chick showed up and i was like oh my God, what, who is that? What is what actor actress is that? I know. Oh, it's Dakota. And then I was wondering, like, is it really was it hard to like? Was she believable, even though you've seen her in totally naked? Uh, I haven't seen her totally naked. Uh, I didn't find much redeeming. Uh, they weren't offering me much for that movie except the totally naked part, so I hadn't seen it. What movie? Uh, Fifty Shades. But I did see her in the Social Network and Suspiria, and those are two different movies. I I knew Shia LaBeouf was in this movie. I didn't obviously know uh, Zach Gottsagen, I think is his name, uh, and I didn't know Dakota Fanning was in it. Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, <laughs> that's a different Dakota, <laughs> who also I have not seen naked. Um, Dakota Johnson and I, I would have, oh, Shia LaBeouf, given his, his, his recent history, I, I might have been wary. Uh, Shia LaBeouf I was willing to overlook because I do think he's a good actor, but her being in it would have messed it up a little bit, not because she's bad. It just, I wouldn't have thought that these disparate personalities or, or, or people who are known for certain roles 
would have worked together. Particularly, I would have been doubtful of Zach knowing that there was an actor with Down syndrome. I would have thought they would have had to have carried him, you know? Yeah. There was a weird alchemy that happened with these three personalities and very different personalities in the movie as well that came together both in the film and in real life that I thought was great. I thought that the base or like the unifying factor was the, their sweetness. I, can, I definitely feel like Dakota played into a very just sweet, not sappy, but sweet, genuinely sweet place. And Shia, though, you know, rough around the edges, redneck dude obviously had a soft spot. And obviously, you know, Zach, what, what's his character's name? Uh, his character's name is... Um, it wasn't Zach? <laughs> it might have been. Zach, dude, he um, obviously is you know, very sweet-natured. And I felt yeah. like their sweetness really kind of unified them. I think that came from her hard-nosed sort of authoritarian, disciplinarian uh, caregiver type role, which she played at first. Shia LaBeouf's sort of redneck, uh, criminal-esque sort of fisherman guy. Um, if they had just been caretakers looking after him, it might have been like, well, that's their job, and they're nice, and of course they're nice. But the fact that Shia's character found his humanity sort of in a place he didn't expect it, that sweetness resonates more than if they had been he had been his charge from the from the beginning. I think him sorting to find a, a, a companion on the road and and coming to love this kid and trying to make sure that uh, he achieves his dreams was endearing, uh, because he had to kind of find his way to that journey. Right. I thought that, I agree that there was good chemistry between the three main characters, and also the supporting characters were pretty spot on. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Stern? Bruce Stern. Bruce Stern's cameo, Thomas Hayden Church, yeah. like I haven't seen him in forever. John Hawks is the man who played oh, the guy yeah. with the tire iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, big names who were all drawn to this movie based on uh, what the directors had pitched as a proof of concept video, uh, but nobody knew whether or not it was going to work. And I'm sure that after after Shia's meltdown that resulted in his arrest, this movie might have sat around for a while and people thought maybe it wouldn't see the light of day. Right. And it's also kind of a gamble when you put so much on the shoulders of a, of a newcomer, basically. Yep. That's, that's interesting in and of itself. Zach was an actor in a few other roles, nothing major, but uh, he, the directors met him and he said he wanted to be a movie star and they tailored this role and this movie specifically around him. Uh, and some incorporated the things that he liked uh, and uh, that his character would like and something that was natural for him. And so nobody went in blind. Everybody knew what they were in for. Uh, obviously, they'd read the script and they had seen the test where he was certainly, uh, you know, did a good job playing basically a version of himself. But uh, you have to have faith of how other people will receive it. And right. I think that in order to make this leap for an indie movie like this with major stars, they would need to make the jump and have faith and the audiences, because they knew what the audience didn't yet until they saw it, which was that they would really enjoy the journey uh, if it's made well and respectfully. Yeah. Major indie stars. Yeah. Yeah. So what's my rating scale? Uh, as I understand it, your rating scale is either good or boring. A lot of, <laughs> lot of room in there. There's no gray area. That's true. Yeah. And I think it's fairly obvious that I thought this movie was good, but I kind of want to hear from you what you thought sucked about it. What sucked? It's hard for me to think of what that is. I think that obviously the stakes were not only that 
the Zach character would have to be returned to Zach's character would have to be returned to the nursing home, but that Shia's character would be caught for his poaching the fishing claim or whatever. Right. And I, I guess that added some drama because he couldn't get he couldn't afford to get caught, and you didn't know what was going to happen to him. I never thought he was going to die, or that it would be that tragic. That would have made it a completely different movie, but I don't know that I felt the stakes mm. the whole time. I th- I thought that because they l- it looked like they were going to kill him and I didn't feel that there was a way that they could, maybe that drama was a little bit misdirected. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when they catch up with him and what happens, I would have been surprised and it actually would have been impactful if he if his character had died. And when he didn't, spoiler... Um, I didn't quite have the moment of relief I think they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think they maybe played up the drama of, hey, you stole my crabs, I'm going to murder you with a tire iron thing. (laughs) That that's one of the my little qualms about it, but it's hardly something that sucked. They played they certainly played it up. They tracked him mountain man style and were super diligent because they didn't have anything else to do. And then they bonked him on the head and went away. Like, it's not like they recouped their property or their or the cost that they were out, right? Right. So I agree, like, the threat kind of wasn't there, but I guess that wasn't really the point. No, it wasn't the point. Uh, I guess it kept them on the road. It kept them, the two of them, uh, you know, or the three of them eventually forming this relationship that didn't have to do with the outside world or the institution he was supposed to be in or any of that stuff. It was just the three of them kind of uh, out on their own. Right, right. The three of them out on, on their own really made this a, not a road trip, but a journey film. Yep. And the destination was kind of unclear. Was it they were going to end up in Florida and then after that they were just going to part ways? I don't think so. I think they might have hung out. But this movie wasn't about landing squarely in reality. I think the departure was enough so that we can hope that they would achieve anything and that they would they could be a family down in Florida somewhere and Shia could provide the crab to eat and she could care for Zach or whatever his character's name was in any way that he needed and that maybe they would all get rich off of his wrestling fame. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to believe that and, and I, want to, I want to accept that. Well, that is the fantasy that they were setting yep. us up for, that they're going to live happily ever after sure. as this kind of odd-bought family. And successfully carrying us along in that journey to that sort of culmination and result, I'm on board with that. I can get behind that. So did you, so this movie energize you? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it, what Shai has been saying in interviews is that it softened him. It changed his outlook. Uh, he said he was sort of uh, cynical and abrasive, and I felt that way too. I felt that just a human story uh, without the forced sort of maudlin uh, feel-good aspect that that, uh, that um, awards considerations and uh, pushes promotions. Well, will kind awards of, bait? Uh-huh, well, that, that will jam down your throat. I felt that independent of all that, it was a very successful movie in that way, and I, I didn't need to be told that I would feel good. I just did. So, yeah, okay, that's fair. Do you think it's worth people's time? Absolutely. I think it's worth people seeking this movie out, not just if it falls in your lap. You know what's interesting is we've, I think we've talked, you know, long before this podcast was even um, a thought, that we've talked about feel-good movies, and the feel, obvious feel-good movie of the of last few years was um, The Green Book, or just Green Book. Mm-hmm. Is it The Green Book or Green Book? Green Book. Green Book. Green Book. And um, that was the feel-good movie of that year, last yep. year. 
Uh, no, it was a few, few, no, maybe that was last year. Let's go with that. Yeah, time escapes me because yeah. I'm a mom and I have zero time in mind space. Um, but you had problems with Green Book, so how does, what, is, what makes this better, what that makes this a successful feel-good movie as opposed to a Green Book? But I think the precedent to Green Book is what bothered me. There, were the, there was the white savior role that Spike Lee was bitching about. There was the, the driving Miss Daisy sort of association of, uh, you know, obviously these people shouldn't get along and this black man doesn't belong in the South and it's going to be trouble and uh-oh, but maybe they'll find a heartwarming friendship out of it. Having seen the trailer, they, it was immediately presented to me as a feel-good movie, and I'm immediately resistant to that. But wasn't it a joy to watch? Uh, it was it was fine to watch, and I did enjoy watching it. It didn't give me the same vibe or satisfaction that the Peter and Butter Falcon did, because I don't think this movie has a precedent. I've never seen anything like it. It won an award for the depiction of people, realistic depiction of people with disabilities, and I don't know any other movies that have won that award. I think it's a tricky situation um, because the audience would come in expecting something or maybe allowing for... Uh, for, for challenges in the roles, but um, not walking into this not knowing anything about it, uh, I was allowed to s let it unfold on its own merits and see if it grabbed me, and it did. Um, I was actually disheartened to watch the trailer after the fact. I'm really hoping that anybody who listens to this has seen this movie already, uh, because I think going into it after having listened to this and getting a, f getting a few mild spoilers will essentially do the same job that watching the trailer did for me, which is to put a damper on it a little bit yeah. I feel like it was a pure movie that was fun, and the, a pure movie-going experience is something that you deserve uh, going into this one. Like you did. It's funny you mentioned that because Brian helped edit the Honey Boy uh, podcast episode, and mm -hmm. he hadn't seen it yet. Well, because it's grounded <laughs> in history, maybe he knows some of that stuff. I don't know if he watches the interviews, but uh, yeah, that movie had been done before, although in real life. Right. Peanut Butter Falcon except for that weird thing that they did to kind of lure big name stars to it, the proof of concept video, uh, no one had ever seen anything about it. Right. Not based on any previous material, and that was the best part of this movie for me. But I think you make a good point. Like our podcast is, um, is definitely not going to be spoiler free, and uh, we hope that people listen to it having seen movies, but if they don't, we hope that they listen to it and just enjoy you know, our company and the talk and hopefully it preps and sets the stage for them. And then watch the movie uh, themselves and then listen to this again and see how it affects uh, you know, their own thought process. But certainly develop your own thought process for sure. I stopped reading full-blown reviews of movies until after I had seen them. Spoiler, spoilers or no. It just helps to form your own opinion and see those validated or reinforced or strengthened by other people's. Right. Or completely disagree with people, which is always fun. Right. What reviews or what places do you go to to validate or invalidate, not invalidate, to reinforce or validate your opinions? I used to be a diehard uh, Roger Ebert fan. Uh, while I disagreed with him sometimes, he was kind of in line with my thinking. And if I completely disagreed with him, he could always justify his reasoning. And I really appreciated that. Um, nowadays, I will look for aggregate stuff on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll get a generalized score, and then I will click on the actual reviews and read what they had to say. Right. Well, I don't do any of that. Okay. Before or after. It changes your movie experience, and I don't know that it's for the better. I do talk to you about movies. Yeah. 
and now that we've started doing this, we don't have any communication about our thoughts on movies. We simply touch base on a movie and then decide whether or not we're going to talk about it. You mean in the podcast? Mm Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we don't talk about stuff offline. Right. Right. Because when I did that the one time, it worked out badly, I think. (laughs) (coughs) What movie was that? That was Us. Oh, yeah. Which I have strong feelings about. Yes. Which I think we might make that that episode available at some point. That'll be a DVD extra. That will be a um, Patreon, if that's how you pronounce it, extra bonus feature episode with Wes and Iris. It is. Let's set the threshold low for that <laughs> membership. <laughs> All right. Well, you have to give some kind of score. What do you want to rate this deal? Dealy Bob, Peanut Butter Falcon. What was yours? Good or boring? Good or boring, dude. This is good. Um, it's worth watching. Let's, like, let's do worth it or skip it kind of vibe. Definitely worth seeking out. Don't miss this movie. Find it however you can. I don't know that it'll be available, you know, on Netflix or any of the, the crap people see for free, uh, but it's definitely worth checking out. Isn't it amazing that we think that our 10 bucks a month subscription to Netflix or $100 a year subscription to Amazon Prime is free? It's the only way to justify what we actually get out of it. Be like, oh, I watched that crappy movie because it was free. Because none of the stuff that we want to watch is on there. Sorry, Netflix. I love you. Please sponsor us. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our new movie podcast or whatever uh, with Wes and Iris. I'm Iris, obviously. This is my older brother, Wesley. Uh, you can email us about whatever at orwhatevermovies at gmail.com or call us about, I mean... Whatever. What? They're calling you? Yeah, 818-835-0473. And uh, check out my guest appearance on Where My Mom's At. I have a holiday uh, mom tips episode there. You can check it out. Thanks. I love you, Christina P. Uh, Otherwise, that's it for us. We're out. Thank you. Bye. Hi, I'm Lessa Gaudet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.